Um, we, uh, we do. We want to be just like Jesus. That's, that ought to be our heartbeat over everything else that we do. Um, to be like him, to know him, to love him. You know, I was thinking, um, you know, the best, the best thing I can do to shepherd a flock of Jesus is to love Jesus. Um, the best thing you can do to be the best husband or the best wife that you can be is to love Jesus, um, to be the best neighbor, to be the best friend. The best thing you can do, the best way you can show love to others is to be in love with Jesus. This morning we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Um, I am going to attempt to preach for about half the time that I normally preach. It'll be interesting. See how that goes. Um, but the reason that we're doing it like that, we want to give some space. Today is kind of our kickoff as Lisa said, we talked about connectivity and community, kind of our home group kickoff. Um, for, for, for some of you, you've been involved in our home groups for years. Some of you have never heard of them. Some of you have heard of them but are not a part of them. Um, we want to kind of promote those today and see if that might be a way, um, an avenue that God is, is definitely working in our church, but a way that he might be calling you uh, to join in us in that endeavor into community. So we're going to give some space at, at about noon. I'm going to preach. We're going to have a couple more songs. And then we've got tables strategically set up around the outside of the room. If you were here last year, we did a missions fair. It's going to be kind of the same thing. And at about noon to 12.15, for about 15 minutes, we're going to provide some space while the, the children are still next door in children's church. So that way you're not freaking out. i got to go get my kid. Um, we're going to provide some time and space to simply uh, meet with it, our home group leaders and the home group members. So if you're here today and you're already plugged into a home group, and especially if the leaders, we've, we've spoken with the leaders beforehand, um, you'll be stationed at the back table. There's the name of the, the leader of each group on the tables, um, and then those members will go back with them. If you're not currently plugged into a home group, what we'd like you to do is, is to go around to the different tables and meet the leaders and the members and say, you know, when does your group meet? What's it about? What do you guys do? Um, and, and, you know, could we be involved? We're also going to have, Rana's going to have the women's retreat table um, set up there in the back as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that right before we do it. But that's where we're going. Today's message, in light of that, we're talking about community. It's called Eat, Pray, Love. And we'll explain why that's the title as we go along. I, um, a little, maybe it was a week or two ago, I was watching a uh, show um, about a company called SpaceX. Um, it's a company that builds rocket ships and, uh, and, and uh, spaceships. It was one of those uh, crazy weekends that I have when I watch the Discovery Channel. Um, and, and I was watching this program. It was amazed. I, I was enthralled with the CEO. His name was Elon Musk, which some of it was just because I love his name. But also, Elon had this crystal clear goal for his company. Like, there was, there was no wavering in it. He said, we're here to, this is our purpose. SpaceX's purpose is to revolutionize space travel. Long-term plan of establishing a self-sustaining civilization on the planet of Mars. The guy thinks big. 
and, and to have a more exciting future, which that would be exciting. And so, and I went to their website, and here it was right, right on their main website. Here is their purpose. And in the, in the show, in, in the program, as they interviewed different employees at SpaceX, I mean, all of them could tell you that purpose verbatim. And every day when they came to work, it was like, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. And everything that they did, every single day, was moving toward this very clear goal and this clear purpose. And I thought, man... Is that my life as a believer? Do I have a, a crystal clear idea of, of God's purpose and goal for my life? And do we, as a community of Jesus followers, do we know what we're doing? And when we wake up in the morning and as we come together as believers, is there this crystal clear purpose that everything that we're doing, all of our conversation, all of our action is kind of moving toward this same goal? And so I've only got 15, 20 minutes here with you today, which is, by the way, is always harder to preach a shorter sermon than a longer sermon. Um, but, but what I want to do with this time is show us what, was, what is the purpose of the church? What is our crystal clear goal mandated by our creator? What was the purpose of the church? In, and we're going to look at Acts 2, what, what their purpose was in the early church. And then therefore, from that, our blueprint for our purpose today in 2015 on the Kenai Peninsula. So first of all, what, what is our goal? What, what are we here to do? Well, when we step back and look at, at the broad picture, which we, we need to do all the time, um, our, our main purpose is to glorify God. This is echoed throughout all of Scripture. Uh, Paul says it very clearly in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, pretty encompassing, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do in our life, every breath we take, every action should be to magnify him, to make him bigger, to worship him. He's the only one worthy of that. Then we say, okay, well, but more practically, more, more specifically, how do we do that? Well, right before our commander-in-chief went back to heaven, Jesus left us with a job. He left us with a mandate, and, and you know this from Matthew 28. And, and, and the main thing out of that, he said, I want you to go into the world and make disciples. The task we have on earth, specifically given to us in the church age to glorify God, is the making of disciples. But we say, well, how does that happen? Is there just like a, a discipleship conveyor belt and we just sort of crank them out? Like, how does this discipleship process occur? Well, what I want to do is I want to look at how it began, how this, this whole thing began. Um, and so that we might know how to continue it. I'm going to show you here in Acts 2 how the greatest global movement of all time began and it grew. You ready for this? Acts 2. They devoted themselves, this is the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There it is. This is, this is how the greatest movement in all of humankind started and began. It's not complicated, is it? And then look what follows. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So how did the greatest movement in in all of humankind begin and explode? It it wasn't, let's make these big organizations and flowcharts and graphs and sort of break this down and figure it out. It was three very, very simple things that you and I can do today. It was eat, it was pray, it was love. They ate, they prayed, and they, or as I call it, the Julia Roberts diet. Um, now, if you've ever read the book or, or watched the movie, I've seen the movie, I haven't watched the book, um, we're not here to promote this today. In fact, if anything, there are things in there, I think, very specifically that would disagree with the Word of God and His truth. Um, but we're not going to let Hollywood have the market corner on these three words, okay? We're going to redeem them, and we're going to see how we can use these, how these can be three central words to what we do as a church, our crystal clear goal of making disciples to glorify God through these three very simple words, and we'll walk through them. The first one is eat. What? The believers, when they first got together, they were, you, you see this in Acts 2, they were eating all the time together. Now, this is a religion that I could really get, throw myself into, right? I'm, I'm all the way down with eating with other people nonstop. And, and God designed eating to be fun. He, in, he designed eating to, to be enjoyed, and more specifically, to be enjoyed together. Look at this in Acts 2. We go back. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The heart of of, of discipleship making is a loving community with full bellies, full hearts, laughter, and enjoying each other together. Man, it's simple. And, and, you know, I always think if if I ever, if I want to get together with someone, you know, to meet with them, discipleship, you know, whatever it is, I always say, hey, you want to go get something to eat, right? You want to go for a meal. For me, I'm cheap, so hey, let's go to Subway. I have a discount card there. Um, You know, or at least let's go get some coffee. I mean, you ever just sit down with someone on a couch and face-to-face, it's just awkward. What do we do now, right? But food as a way of kind of warming us up, of opening us up, something we can enjoy together and be a conduit for fellowship. And I think family dinner... It was designed, sadly, we see this a lot more in in the Jewish culture of this day than we do in ours today, but it's to be this time where some of the best, you know, us together times occur. I think back to my childhood and all the times we had at dinner. I remember one time we had a pancake fight break out at the dinner table. Out of all five of us, you know who it was that started it? My dad. Now, you wouldn't guess that, would you? But I said, hey, could you pass me a pancake? And he did. And it was on. But what we're talking about, when we say eat here, we're not just talking about physical food. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness? What, what did he respond to Satan with? He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our sustenance as believers, yes, we're to enjoy his physical food, but for real life, for eternal life, we feast on the word of God as our daily sustenance. In fact, this idea of discipleship, to be a disciple, if you're going to disciple someone, the verb, like in the original Greek, what it meant was simply to teach or instruct. So if you're discipling somebody, you're teaching them, you're instructing them, and therefore on the other side of it, if you're being discipled, you're following the teaching of another. 
And that's when you look at the, at the Great Commission, he says, go into the world and make disciples. And this is what he follows it up with. This is kind of his clarification of what he means, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to obey what I've instructed you to do. So, so discipleship is simply following Jesus, obeying his teaching, and inviting others to join us in that obedient walk. But then, but then beyond that, we go even deeper kind of spiritually into this concept of eating. Jesus in John 6 said something that's, that, can, that can, can be disturbing. He said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus said, if, if you want to live bread, worldly bread, wonder bread, the bread you buy at Safeway, that's only going to get you through this temporary life on earth. If you want to live forever, you must eat of my flesh. You must drink of my blood. If we want salvation, we must consume the person, the life and righteousness of Jesus and claim him as our own. Jesus himself is the source of our life, of our fellowship and of our instruction. So eating conveys three things. It conveys Jesus's life, it conveys his teaching, and the fellowship we have together in him. So we eat together. And secondly, we pray. You look, you look at, um, back to our marching orders from Jesus, it's very interesting how he bookends go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He starts by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then at the end of it, he says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. To the very end of the age. He starts with his authority, and he ends with his presence. His authority and his presence. In other words, if we are going to make disciples of all nations, it must happen through him. So how do we make sure that we're doing this thing? How do we make sure that what we're doing is done in his name, by his authority, and with him in his presence as he walks with us? The most practical expression of dependence on God and fellowship with him is prayer. It's prayer. And you check out the connection here, going back to our Acts 2 verse. He says... They devoted themselves to, and to many things, and, and ultimately then he says to prayer. And then watch what follows right in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. How were they doing this? Were they just in their own strength? All of a sudden they were like superheroes that could do amazing things? No. It's a direct cause and effect here. They prayed and God blew their mind. God did incredible things. And then in verse 47, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Salvation is God's work. It's not our work. We proclaim the truth, but God grows the body. God adds to the numbers. Our job is to depend, and we depend through prayer. See, John, Jesus, back in, when he was praying in John 14, look at what he says. If, if we believe this, this is going to change our lives. It says, I will do whatever you ask. This is Jesus speaking. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you catch that? 
He says it again. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If if we believe this, if we believe that what we're called to do, that it can only happen through through asking him, that the things that we want to see happen in our lives that align with his will, if they're going to occur, if we believe this verse, then we will never stop praying. But you know what's indicated in my heart? When I see how pathetic my prayer life can often be, it shows that I don't believe this. I don't walk in this truth. Because if I did, why would I ever stop coming to the Lord and asking for him to intercede. Asking him to move. See, if we're going to obey Jesus, if this, if this God-sized task of making disciples of all nations is going to happen, it's only going to be through prayer. Are we a people who pray? Are we a church that prays? Because if, if we're not... This thing is going to fall on its face. And even externally, it might look like everything's great, but spiritually, the real fruit inside will rot, and it will be not there. So we eat, we pray, and then finally, we love. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. But you didn't know the early church was filled with communists, did you? Um, look at the way it says, man, we're going to meet each other's practical needs. I'm going I'm to sell this so that, so that you can have what you need. The, the way that they, they cared for each other. They loved each other. But then look in 46. Look at how everything they do, they do is done together. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's where they originally were, were getting teaching in the synagogues. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. The only context for discipleship is community. Let me say that again. The only context for discipleship is community. They ate together, they prayed together, they taught together, they shared together, they met needs together. The only context of our faith is in community. If, if you're, especially if you're from the South, um, you know about these things. Um, you've heard of grits before, right? Um, I don't personally, I think they are void of flavor unless you put enough stuff in there. Um, but have you ever noticed, I mean, it's, it's, you, you order grits, right? Like nobody says, could I have a grit, please? right? Like, I just have one grit. You can't go to the store and buy one grit. It doesn't, ex- it doesn't exist, right? It's just all in one big, mushy, warm bowl together. Grits. In the same way, there is no such thing as a solo Christian. Yes, the church is made up of many Christians, but you remove a Christian from the context of community, and we've, we've stepped outside of the gospel. What we've been called into is a loving community together, and that's where lives change. We, the body, we've been called into this messy, messy community to meet the needs of other people. And when Jesus, you know, when he, when he called us, he said, I want you to follow me. This, this calling, when, when, think about when he called his disciples. It was a call to abandonment. 
He said, I want you to leave your nets and your boats, which was their livelihood, how they made money. He said, I want you to leave that behind, and I want you to follow me. For some of them, he said, I want you to abandon, hear it, your families. Let the dead bury their dead. You, you follow me. When Jesus calls us, it's from this to that. It's from there to here. And for, for many of us, one of the most radical changes that he's going to call us to is from our independent, comfortable, individualized lifestyle into a life of community. You see, back in, 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 in the day, in world, after World War II, okay, before many of us were alive, um, there was this huge economic boom, right? And, and now America is as prosperous as, as it's ever been. But one of the things that came out of that, every good thing has a cost, and one of the things that came out of that was the, the rise and movement of suburbia, right? Suburban homes, where we had bigger, nicer homes, kind of had to move out of some of the necessary community with each other and into our own little s- structures. And kind of what, one of the things that came out of this, that's so interesting, is, is that we started to live life in a bubble. I think one of, the, one of Satan's greatest tools is the garage door opener. Okay. Let me explain. You go to work. You're working in your little cubicle. Okay. Do your own little thing. You leave that little cubicle, go down into your car with tinted windows so that nobody can see you. Now I drive home. I press the little demon button. The garage door opens. I drive inside. I close the door behind me. And now I'm safe inside. Never had to look at a neighbor. Never had to wave to somebody. Never had to say, how's your day? I mean, how many of us even know the names or even faces of our physical neighbors? This is a generalized. Some of us are very close with our neighbors. But, and we go inside, and we watch that magic box, or we look at this magic box in our hands, and then we wake up the next morning, and we do it all over again. What we've been called to, for, for many of us, leaving the safety of our smartphone, leaving the, the safety of our own individual schedule, I'm doing my thing, I'm very busy, I've got this going on, and to leave that and enter into the fray of the messiness of community. And I'm not just saying, you know, well, we, we write a check to charity, I'm giving to my community. I'm talking about inviting people into our homes for dinner. I'm talking about raising each other's kids. I'm talking about knowing each other intimately, living life together. This is what we're called to. And for many of us, this is foreign. It's completely foreign. And for many of us, it's terrifying. And it's never promised that it's going to be easy. But if if we're going to make disciples of all nations, this is our, our blueprint. This is how the gospel grew. And it's nothing fancy. It's not huge company. We don't have to build these huge structures. We simply, we we grow together and we invite others to join us in the spirit-led journey of eating together, praying together, and loving each other. See, in in Hebrews 10, the writer of, of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So some people, they don't want this. They don't want the messiness. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back. We've been given a job to do. 
And he says, encourage, spur each other on toward love and good deeds, the purpose, the task of what he's called us to do. He says, don't stop meeting together. And so, so how do we express this? How do, we, how do we express Acts 2? It's a pretty hard thing to pull off in a church service, right? This living together. It's hard to do right here when I'm the only one talking, hopefully. Um, you know, we say, well, well, I have a five-minute conversation with somebody after the service. You know, I, I, have, I, you know, I get a cup, cup of coffee when I first come in and talk to somebody. We're talking about something a lot, a lot deeper. We're calling each other into community with one another. And, and one of the ways that we can express that is through our grace groups, through our, through our home groups. This is not the only way that this is expressed. We have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies that we talked about that get together. And more importantly, this is a lifestyle. It's not a program. So you don't just, oh, we got to plug in. Well, I'm in a home group, you know, Monday nights, I'm good to go. This is, this is a way of life. As a believer, we're all in. This isn't segmented. This is all of our, of our life is to be lived in this manner. But here's, here's one expression of that. We've got to start somewhere, right? And, so, and this, is, this is exactly what we do at home group. We eat, we pray, and we love. My home group meets Monday nights at 6.30. And the first thing we do is we get together and we eat. And some of the sweetest times in the home group is laughing over dinner, eating amazing food that I didn't cook, um, and enjoying each other's fellowship. And then we eat of the word of God together, and we dig into scripture, and we go deeper than we can on a Sunday morning, and we talk about it, and we talk about how this applies to our lives, and then we pray for each other. We know each other well as the, as the weeks and months and years go on of this same group meeting together. We pray for each other's needs, and then we love each other. It's been incredible to watch the relationships form in that group, and we help each other move. We pick each other up when there's devastation in our lives, when the inevitable trials they come and then we laugh and we share in each other's joys and we go to each other's kids' soccer games and we live life together. So I don't know this morning how the Holy Spirit is convicting you, convicting me in this area. For some of us, it's, man, I'm living in complete isolation and I need to jump in. I need to get, be a part of this community, part of what God's doing in our world to make disciples, to glorify him. For some of us, maybe it's, man, I've been in a, a small group for a while. I think God's calling me to lead one. Our group's getting too big, and, and maybe God's telling you, it's time, it's time you stepped up and, and, and led a home group. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what it is that he's convicting you, and, and this is not just some giant plug for our grace groups at Peninsula Grace. This is, this is one giant call from our God to live in community together. So we're going to sing a couple more songs. We're going to have a song and take the offering and a song. And then I'll come back up and I'll kind of, kind of guide us as we, as we spend the last little bit of this time together um, in community um, talking about how we can strategically live together to make disciples, to glorify God. Let's, let's pray. Father, um, I confess that so often I'd rather just live each day to see how comfortable I can be um, or even how efficient I can be with my time and my schedule. And then I get a phone call, God, or I get someone who stops by or whatever, and I see that as an interruption. And, and I see that as an annoyance and a disturbance from what I'm trying to accomplish. And Lord, I see so how often I, I live in my bubble, and, and I see people, and I see the messy community as just an obstacle in the way to accomplish that. God, I repent of that. And I pray that in this room, as we look at our, our lives and we examine our hearts, 
that, that, that we would see the areas that the Spirit is growing us in this, that we would learn how to really love each other, how to really give of ourselves, because God, it's hard. We are people, we are sinful, we are annoying, we have conflict, and living together is difficult. But Father, it's, it's the context that you've given us for growth, for discipleship making, for kingdom building. And so I pray that as your disciples, we would obey your teaching, that we would step into the messiness, that we would slop around in the mud with each other and love each other and eat together and pray together and love together. In your son's name, to your glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.